course this morning. There are lots of people, as I sit here and think about it, so many different people are willing to serve in, in so many different ways. I look out and I know many of you serve in a variety of areas, and thank you so much for doing that, whether it's just being willing to fill in on a particular Sunday or, or as Randy leads us each week. We've got folks right now, just so you know, as parents, when your kids leave here, uh, they, there's only one way to get into that building. We've got everything else locked, but the, the double glass doors there. And then, uh, we've got, we've kind of got this place secured as best we can. And so, uh, you'll notice we've got, so Drew's in the back. He's, yeah, he's, he's swelling up for us. He's in the back. He's got it. And so, uh, but that's right. Well, hey, I'm going to leave that up to you. Um, but uh, but we we've got different uh, just different things to make sure that that what we're doing here is as best we can, uh, particularly for our children to keep them safe and uh, and then for us when uh, we, we praise the Lord for a place that we can come and uh, and enjoy one another's company, enjoy the presence of the Lord, and certainly serve and join together. And so thank you all so much for doing that. Let me pray for us, and then we'll turn our hearts toward God's word. Lord, we do thank you very specifically for all who serve here. We thank you, Lord, for all of the hours that they put in, all the effort and the energy. Uh, Lord, may all of that be leveraged for your kingdom. Uh, Lord, not just to make Elm Grove Baptist Church a, a good place to, to go to church on Sunday morning, but, Lord, that you would be absolutely glorified and that through the ministry of this church that lost souls would find you, that they would receive the kingdom of God and they would be given new life in Christ and that your Holy Spirit would live the life of Jesus through them. Lord, that's our prayer for us as well today. As we turn our hearts towards your word, we pray, Lord, that you would show us something brand new in a fresh new way. Help us, Lord, to live for the kingdom that has and will come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What would you do with something that you had that was broken, that wasn't totally broken, but you couldn't fix it all the way either? Uh, you you kind of you thought about it. You you worked on it some. You talked to a lot of people. You researched. You you looked it up on the internet, and you just you could not find a way to fix it totally. Uh, but it was given to you by somebody that you love, and somebody that loves you dearly and deeply. And 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 one day that person promised they'll fix it for you completely. But in the meantime, they want you to do as much with it as you possibly can. Make the most of it until they come and fix it for you completely. What would you do? Now that person has left you some instructions on how it is that you can make the most of it. What you're to do in the meantime between when, when they gave it to you and, and then when they come back. Uh, even if you can't fix it all the way, you can do a lot with it. And that person promised to send you some help and some other folks and some other instruction that, that would help you to learn more about how to make of it all that you can. If that were you and you'd receive something like that from somebody that you love and somebody that loves you dearly, I would imagine that you probably follow their instructions. You may not fully understand. You, you may wonder, okay, well, this doesn't make all the sense in the world. This thing is, is pretty broken, but I know that you love me. I know that you've given it to me, and one day you've promised that you'll fix it all, but okay, I guess I'll, I'll follow your instructions. I'll trust that you know what you're talking about. I'll just do what you've told me to do. I, I think in some sense that's kind of what we have with our world. Uh, we, we've been given a place in our world, the earth, in our existence, a place given to us by our gracious creator God, someone who loves us dearly, someone who we are called to love in return. But we know it's a place that's broken. We know it's a place that we broke because of our sin. Uh, but it's a place that God cares about. 
God, God has not given, given up on our world. Sometimes we do, but he's not given up. It's a place that God cares about. It's a place that he sent his son to in the flesh. He didn't just shout at us. He came to us. And it's a place that Jesus said that God's kingdom has actually come to. It's a place that he said one day he'll come back and he'll fix it completely. He'll redeem it and make it completely new. And it's a place that we live in the meantime, between now and then. And it's a place that we're called to love and to serve. Uh, our series that we're in, that we started last week, is, is really what I hope will be our theme for 2017. I'm not going to preach it the whole year, but I do hope it'll be our theme for the year. And that is from the old King James rendering of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What if we really meant the words that we prayed in that prayer? Some of you probably repeat that prayer on a regular basis. Maybe that's part of, of your, your daily prayer life. And you just make it a discipline to pray the Lord's Prayer. I wonder, how would it take on new life in your life and in and in, in and through you if we really did mean those words? Thy kingdom come. What if we recognize that the kingdom of God in Jesus has already come and that one day it will come in its visible manifestation and it will be obvious to everybody? And what if in the meantime you could experience a preview in your life of, of God's kingdom and God's rule? What if you weren't doomed just to kind of trudge through life, hoping and waiting and wishing for the one day that Jesus will come back and make it all right and until then I guess I just kind of got to get through it best I can. What if things were different? And what if our church this year took very seriously the mission of the kingdom of God, showing our community what it looks like when Jesus invades the hearts and lives of people and we become transformed into very loving, compassionate, forgiving, serving, worshiping people of God? What would happen in the Elm Grove, East Callaway County community? Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 4. Specifically, verse 17, when Jesus showed up on the scene, began his public ministry, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. I've, I'm, he said. So Jesus is the kingdom, and he brought the kingdom with him, and in him we have the blessings of the kingdom that one day everybody will see. And Jesus said, Repent. So our response to him is to repent, to submit, to join his rule in our lives, and to submit to it so that we can experience the freedom, uh, the healing, the forgiveness of the kingdom. Today is, is really kind of part two of last week. Uh, it's sort of a continuation. Uh, last week was in one sense part one. Here's part two. The, the kingdom of God is, is here, but it's not all here. Now that's, that was the message of Jesus. That's, that's the message of the New Testament, that it is here. That we do have what the kingdom will bring eventually, but it's not all here just quite yet. How do we know that? Well, a couple of ways. First, the Bible tells us that's the case. And secondly, we know just from personal experience that it's not all right just yet. Not everything has been fixed just yet. Now, our theme today will come from Revelation chapter 21. If you got your Bible handy, flip all the way to the back. The very last book of the Bible, almost the last chapter, Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 to set for us what will be our theme for today. Now, the book of Revelation is, is not just about future events and what will happen one day, someday when Jesus comes back. It certainly includes that, but, but it's not just about that. It's really more about hope for Christians who at the time when the apostle John wrote down these revelations from Jesus Christ, Christians who were struggling in a world that hated them, a world that was persecuting him. A world that was against them. And so Jesus gave John, the apostle, a vision of what had already come in Jesus and then what was to come when Jesus would return again. And so John wrote it all down. Now the people at that time would have understood it. 
They would have gotten the symbolism. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying about what's going on right now, and then one day what's going to happen. Okay, I, I get it. Now, for us, it can be a little bit confusing. You read Revelation, you think, what on earth does that mean? And we immediately try to draw parallels between what was written and our time today. It's a wrong way to read Revelation. Wrong way. First, we read it to understand what would they have gotten, and then, okay, what can we understand as a result? The main message of Revelation is that Jesus won, that Jesus wins, and that Jesus will win. And as a result, we have hope and confidence until Jesus returns. That even though this world may turn against us, that we in Jesus Christ have the kingdom and we have hope. And so that will be our overall theme. That the kingdom is already here, but but as John saw, it's, it's not totally here just yet. So I want to read... Revelation chapter 21, we're going to look, as I said, at verses 1 through 8, and uh, and then we'll kind of break this down and follow along a little bit in your notes, and hopefully we'll learn something today uh, that can help us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea existed no longer. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because the words, these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the thirsty from the spring of living water as a gift. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, unbelieving, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So as I said, Revelation is not just about the future things, but this gives us a hint that one day something is going to happen that's very different. I want to give you a truth today that we're going to break down into three parts. Really just one statement, but we're going to break it down in three parts and kind of move through it. First part of this truth is, this is a very obvious statement, that there's a lot wrong with our world. There's a lot wrong with our world. And you can say amen to that because it's true. There's a lot that's wrong with our world. In fact, the book of Revelation here in chapter 21 gives us some characteristics of what's wrong right now with our world. Uh, we, we see that there's evil in the world, the, the sea there. When it says that the sea will no longer exist, it means that evil is no longer there. So right now we deal with evil. There's also sin that's in our world. There's also separation from the physical presence of God. God is not able to be seen right now. There are unmet needs. The book alludes to people being thirsty. And there's sorrow. There's tears and death and mourning and pain. There's a lot wrong with our world. Revelation points to that. There, there's also something that the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, in the second letter that he wrote to him. In chapter 3, you can just write down the reference if you want to, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and it points to, here's what Paul said will be evident in what he called the last days. Now, the last days are simply a term that just means from the time that Jesus first arrived on the scene until he's coming back. Those are the last days. There's nothing remaining really for God to do except just Jesus comes back and here we are. Jesus has already brought redemption. One day he'll bring consummation to the kingdom. Paul said, here's what you can expect between now and then. And he talked about it. He gives a laundry list of this. And I'll just roll through them real quickly. Paul said in those last days, in the time when before Jesus comes back, people will be lovers of self, just self-absorbed. 
Uh, and really, this is the sin that leads to all others. Paul goes on to list that people will be lovers of money, just greedy and money-hungry, obsessed with it, stingy, selfish. They'll use others. They'll, they'll try to beat the system just to get one step farther down the road. Sound familiar? He said they'll be boastful, which just means they're full of it. That's just what it means. They're self-promoting. They always have a better story. You ever run into somebody like that? You say something, you tell them your story. Hey, oh, hold on, I got one for you. The whole time they're, they're hearing you talk, they're not listening to your story. They're just trying to think, now what can I say that's even better than that? They're boastful. They're exaggerators. They're obsessed with how many followers and shares and likes they have on their social media accounts. I mean, those are, those are the kind of people Paul's describing. He goes on to talk in 2 Timothy and calls them proud, which means they're stuck up. They're unwilling to admit any shortcomings, any sin whatsoever. And they look down on anybody else who's not them. You ever know somebody like that? Listen, you don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to be really good looking. You don't have to be extremely talented or whatever to be proud. You can just say that nobody but me is worth anything. Paul talks about them being blasphemers, which means they're defiant. Uh, Their hearts are against God and against anybody else. He says they'll be disobedient to their parents. We don't have anybody here who's like that. I, I know that. All of the children that are here, all the young people, they're so perfect. So so perfect, right? Nod your head, Evan. No, so perfect. Never disobedient to parents. Never causing a single problem. You know, I mean, I've got four just perfect ones living in my home. They're, I mean, they never disobey anybody. But Paul said that one of the characteristics of this time between now and whenever Jesus comes back is that people will have a contempt for authority. They won't want to hear anything that anybody in authority or older than him has to say. In fact, that's, that's just an annoyance. Get out of here with that stuff. Now, just so you know, parents, before you go and start elbowing your kids, you were the same way, okay? Same way. Paul says they'll also be ungrateful. Which means they expect everybody to do something for them and they always complain about it and never say thanks. They're always wanting more. Paul says they'll also be unholy. No regard for what is right in the eyes of God. And they're unloving, Paul says. It's sort of like a dog-eat-dog world and they just do whatever they've got to do. He goes on. Like I said, it's a laundry list. He says they're irreconcilable. I mean, you can't deal with these people. You can't reason with them. They're unforgiving. They won't meet anybody halfway. They're also slanderers. They'll stab you in the back. They won't think anything of it. You can be their so-called BFF, and they'll still stab you in the back. It's just the way it is. He says they're without self-control. They're impulsively wild. They do whatever they want, whenever they want. He calls them brutal, which means they're mean and they're cruel. He says they're without a love for what is good. They're intolerant toward the things of God. They are traitors, he says. They'll lie, cheat, steal, do whatever. Anything goes for them. And he calls them reckless. They never think about their actions or the consequences of them. They just do what they want to do. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Ah, no big deal. He says they're conceited. They have no need for God and no need for anyone else. And then he says they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, which means they are addicted to lust. Whatever they want to do, that's what they do. They live for pleasure. And in a sense, they're allergic to God. Anyway, whoa, hold on a time out. I don't want to hear any of that stuff. I, you know... That's for old people, God stuff. And he says, finally, they hold to a form, they deny its power. Interestingly, Paul kind of comes back around, and this is where it hits us. Because all the while, Timothy may have thought, well, he's just talking about people out there. I know people like that. They're awful. 
And Paul says, though, they, they hold to a form of religion, but they deny its power. Do you know where Paul says so many of these people are sitting every Sunday morning? In church. Hold on. Wake your neighbor up. Hold on a second. Paul is talking about so many people who sit in church week after week after week. And in fact, do you realize that still over 70% of Americans claim to be Christian? And yet, if we went back through that list that Paul wrote, you know what we do? Check, 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 America, America, yep, okay, check, check. 70% of us claim to be Christian, and yet all that Paul talked about is prevalent in our society. What in the world's wrong? Paul says we have a form of religion, but we deny its power. We sit every week, he says. We listen to the truth, but we don't receive the truth. We make a show of religion in some cases. And there are people, he says, who think they're saved, who want others to think they're saved and followers of Christ, but they're not. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is why I harp on it from time to time. Not because I look out here and I think, okay, that person and that person and that person and and that person. And, you know, it's not what I'm thinking. All I'm saying is... That each and every week in every church across America, there are people who come who have a form of religion but have not received the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And simply they hope, I guess, that that form of religion is what will save them. There are people who, who, who don't know God. In fact, I talked to the young man the other night who prayed to receive Jesus. And he says, all this time, I've been sort of wanting the blessings of God, but I've not wanted God. And there's a difference. All that to say is that both from Scripture and then from life experience, you look around and you know this world has lots of problems. There is a lot wrong with our world. It's a world that has chosen to follow self instead of following Jesus. Now, what do you do? I mean, all that, you go, okay, well, good, amen to that. You know, we got problems. What do we do? Now, this is where opinions diverge. Some people will tell you that you can't do anything about it. What's the point? I mean, just what, you know, look around. Some people will tell you, well, okay, you can fix it all. Here's what I believe Revelation 21 shows us. First, as I said, there's a lot wrong with our world. And secondly, we can't fix it all. Now, I hope to to help you understand this in just a second. People have tried to fix it all. In fact, our country has been great about the idea of progress. That if we just, by maximizing everything that we can, we, could, we get our efforts together, our intellect, our discoveries, our, our initiatives, all of those things, if we do everything we can, then we are fully capable of creating heaven on earth. My wife grew up in a town known as New Harmony, Indiana. It was established a long time ago as a utopian society. They, they thought that they could create heaven on earth. The problem was they put people in it. People actually lived there. And, and have you ever noticed how it just takes a little bit of time, even for people who say they love one another, to start to rub each other the wrong way? Eventually, folks realized that the only way we can have a utopian society is without any people. And unfortunately, people are going to have to be there to establish a society. New Harmony is a wonderful place, but it's not utopian. And then there's Murray, Kentucky. The friendliest small town in America. In America. The whole place. We got it right here, don't we? It's the friendliest ever. And yet, you right here, you're sitting here, and there's somebody you just can't stand in there. (laughs) 
you're thinking about them. Yeah, I just brought it up. I'll tell you what, if they walked in here, I'd shake their hand, you know. Isn't it interesting how we can try all that we want? We can create every little system and we can have all the scientific discoveries and we can have all the advances in medicine and technology and economics and everything, and yet we still can't create a perfect world. Some people will tell you that you can. But we have to come to the admission that we just can't fix it all. Not even the friendliest small town in America is without its problems. Even if you're not a church person on a regular basis. Even if you don't consider yourself to be a religious person or a follower of Jesus in any way. I think it's fair to say that you have to admit... That our quest for equality and progress and advancement and knowledge and perfection has fallen on some hard times. Because none of those things are true of our world. We still have wars. We still have murders. We still have hatred and cheating and lying and stealing. And racism and poverty and crime and brokenness. And we have increasing anxiety and depression and soaring suicide rates, a 30-year high as a result of it. What does it all mean? I think it means we've been lied to. I think we've been told that humans have all the answers. And when things don't change, when we can't create new harmony, utopia, we're crushed. Because we really believed that paradise was just one scientific discovery, one political election, one pill away. We believed it. The bottom line is there are some things we can't fix. And we know it. We learn that in life and we learn it in Scripture. Revelation shows us that we can't fix it. We cannot bring ourselves the physical presence of God. We cannot stop ourselves from dying. All we can do is kill one another. We can't stop evil completely. We can't stop all the tears and all the pain and all the sadness and all the mourning. We we can't stop it, can we? We can't fix everything completely. There are some things that only God can fix, and there are some things that God hasn't fixed yet. But some things He promised that He will fix one day. One day, Revelation 21 tells us there will be no more evil. When it says the sea no longer existed, that was the symbol for evil for the Hebrew people. They were scared to death of it. The Sea of Galilee, where Jesus did most of his ministry, around that area, it would blow up storms all of a sudden, and they were terrified of it. In the Old Testament, the sea was the place of darkness and mystery and evil. John says there's no more sea. There's not even a hint of evil. One day, God will do away with evil. And then he says in verse 3, that the the very presence of God is with people. God is dwelling among them. He says one day there will be no more separation. Our faith, as the song says, will be sight. We'll see him face to face. One day he says in verse 4, there'll be no more sorrow. No more even causes of sorrow. There'll be no more sadness or pain or crying or depression or loss of any kind. He'll wipe away every tear. No more death, mourning, crying, pain, none of that. He also talks about in verse 6, there'll be no more unmet needs. When, when, when John says the water was given as a gift to the thirsty, it's a symbol that all of our needs are met when one day God fixes everything. And then in verse 8, he rattles off all the sins that won't be there when Jesus returns. One day there'll be no more sin, no more anything to mess it up, no more sinful nature. But it hadn't happened yet, and we can't fix it all. 
So what do we do? Nothing. I mean, do we just sit around and gather on Sunday morning and we sort of lock arms and sing Kumbaya and just pray that right now Jesus would come back because we don't know what else to do. And only that can make us okay. The truth is that doesn't sound much like the life that Jesus lived, does it? Jesus showed up on the scene. It wasn't that he did nothing. He did lots of things. He got to work for the kingdom that he said he had brought. And in fact, then when he sent out his disciples, what did he tell them? Go, make other disciples, do the work of the kingdom, do what I've sent you to do, fulfill your calling. And the rest of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, all the other letters that are written, stories of what people did when they received the kingdom of God and then lived for it. There's a lot wrong with our world. We can't fix it all, but... I believe that we can live for the kingdom that has and that will come. Honestly, that's our responsibility. That's our calling. As believers in Christ, we are not called to simply say, well, I've been saved and now I'm just going to live it out. I'm just going to take up space and just enjoy my life because you know what? I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. So who in the world else cares? It doesn't make any difference. It's not our calling. We are to be God's display of the current and the future kingdom. What did Jesus bring when he brought the kingdom? He brought peace and new life and forgiveness and religion that goes beyond rights and wrongs and following the rules. And Jesus gave instruction for his people on how to live. And by that, we can imply, infer rather, that, that he has something for us to do. Not just to sit around and wait for his return, but to display this life of the kingdom. To live as if the kingdom of God has already come in our lives, to seek the rule of God in every area of life, to display His beauty and His salvation and His creation power and His desires and His glory. We're on display as people to show what God can do in someone's heart when we receive the kingdom of God. And we're God's witnesses for that as well. When you display the life of the kingdom, you know what becomes easier? Talking about the kingdom of God. When it's just on display in your life and Jesus has invaded every part of your heart and you just say, you know what, this is the way I live. This is who I am. It becomes easier to talk about it. It becomes easier to talk about I'm not who I used to be. Some of you have incredible stories about who you used to be. And then Jesus invaded your heart and now look at you. And you say, well, you know, you're not maybe who you want to be, but you're not who you used to be. And praise God for that. My story is more of one of I'm not who I could have been. Uh, Jesus saved my soul when I was eight years old. I don't have a big list of stuff that I did that was just awful, terrible, earth-shattering sins before I was eight years old. But I, I don't know who I could have been apart from Jesus. That's my story. That's what I can testify to. I've received the kingdom of God through faith and in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And you can say, that's the reason that I work the way I do. The reason I'm this kind of teammate. That's why I love. That's why I forgive. That's why I'm not addicted to the outrage and shame that everybody else in this world is addicted to. That's why my ethics are what they are. That's why I don't complain about everything. That's why I'm not easily offended. That's, that's why I'm not blown back and forth by every little thing that happens. That's why I'm no longer anxious about the future. That's why you can say, because the kingdom of God has come into my life and I've received it. And one day it will be visible to everybody. So we are God's display. We are God's witnesses to his kingdom, both now and in the future. And that's why we're here. That's why Jesus hasn't returned yet, because his work of redemption through the church is not done. And only he can decide when it's done. The father will send Jesus at the appointed time. 
His work of redemption in the hearts of humans is not yet complete. And so in the meantime, we are His tools of display and of witness. Now for some of us, you say, okay, that's good. But where do I start? What do I do? Let me give you three quick things of application and we'll close. Let me encourage you, when it comes to living for the kingdom that has come in Jesus, that has invaded our hearts, and that will come, three things. First of all, start where you are. You are where you are for a reason. Now, this is not just self-help pep talk. It's not, it's not what it's meant to be. Suck it up, go do that job again tomorrow you hate. That's not, that's not what this is about. But you are right now strategically placed wherever it is that you've been placed because God has something for you to do in living out His kingdom that the people around you desperately need. No one else is more strategically placed to live out the kingdom of God for the people around you than you. I used to tell our students when I was a youth minister, now look, I, I can't reach your friends the way that you can reach your friends. And I grew up in a church and worked in a church later on where the pastor was the only one that people would listen to. And, and people thought if I could just get that person to church to hear that guy preach, then you know what? He'll take care of the rest. Guess what? I can't do that. I can't do that. You... You are strategically placed to reach the people for the kingdom of God right around you. I don't know those people the way that you do. I don't know them and live in their world the way that you do. I don't understand them the way that you do. I don't have the relationship with them the way that you do. That's who God has given you. And so start wherever you are, with whatever you know, with whomever you know. The truth be told, the kingdom of God is the answer to every human search. We search for love and for beauty and happiness and justice and hope and meaning and fulfillment and purpose and so much more. And guess what? All that is found in the kingdom of God. So maybe you start right where you are. Start with what people are searching for. Listen, pay attention, ask them questions. Start where you are and show them what the kingdom of God looks like. Secondly, use what you have. How, how is it that God has gifted you to display His kingdom to the people around you? What are your interests? What's in your past? What's unique about you? What do you have in common with these people? You know, I, when I first came here, I, I sort of felt awkward about mentioning the fact that I was a baseball player years ago. And I say was, because I, I was, so not anymore. Too sore now. I try to throw occasionally. You know, I kind of felt weird about that. But, you know, the, the more that, that I hope that I've grown in the Lord and understood these things, the more that I realized that, you know, God didn't make me to be a decent baseball player just to get some free education at Murray State and just to coach a team here and there, but, but for a strategic purpose for him to be able and me to be able to use those things toward the kingdom of God. I'm just trying to use what I have. I, I've told you before, I can't fix anything. I'm no good at it. I'm not a handyman. I, you know, I, I, can hang, I can hang around those guys, and I can kind of listen, and I can nod and stuff. But when I start talking about it, they know I have no clue what I'm talking about. I, when I'm around baseball players and stuff, though, guess what? God has given me some things in common with them. I can talk with them. What is it about you, your relationships, your jobs, your skills, whatever it may be, that you can use right now to... Connect with people who are far from God, who need desperately to receive the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, let me encourage you, do all you can. Whatever is right in front of you, 
What is it that is the next good deed that God has ordained for you to walk in, as Ephesians chapter 2 says? What is the next thing that is right in front of you that says, all right, Lord, today, I get it, right here in this moment, this is apparently what you want me to be doing, and so, Lord, I will walk in this right now. We have a couple things, that, and I'll mention them to you, and you've seen them before. But they'll be available to you on the way out. We want to put some tools in your hands. You say, okay, now where do I start? One of the things, and I haven't mentioned this in quite a while, we've got these little cards in the back. I know you can't really see it very good, but but back through the double doors and to your left, before you go out, there's something we call our drive through ministry. Some of you have used this before. And, and all it says on the front of this card is we just wanted to show you the love of Jesus in a practical way. Now, here's here's the idea. You say, look, I don't even know where to start. I'm terrible at talking to people. What can I do? This is a simple sign of generosity and of love towards someone that you might not even know. You pull up in the drive-thru, wherever it may be. Be careful of getting in front of the big vans, but, you know, just they got lots of people in them, okay? Because the next step is you're going to ask the person, the cashier, to say, hey, can I pay for the meal of the person that's behind me? And they're going to look at you cross-eyed. They want What? And you'll have to repeat it three or four times. And they'll have to work through their computer system because it just doesn't work like that for them. And especially McDonald's with a two drive through thing. It just doesn't work. And so they're going to, they're going to, you'll have to be patient with them. And you say, look, I just, tell them, tell them, my preacher said I'm supposed to pay for meals. Okay, so that's what, whatever. Okay, all right. And then all you're going to do is say, look, all I want you to do is you please hand that person this card and tell them their meal's been paid for. And all it's going to tell them is we just wanted to show you the love of Jesus in a practical way. It's got our church information on there if they're ever looking for a church home or whatever. But it is a way for us to invade our community with the generosity of the kingdom of God and just say, hey, you know what? We love you. And maybe you take a few of those that are available if we run out and get you some more. But you just go through and pay for somebody's meal. The second thing, we, we launched this a little while ago, and I just want to reiterate it. We called it Operation Andrew. And the idea is that when the disciples of Jesus first met Jesus, one of them in particular immediately ran and found a person close to him that he wanted to introduce to the Lord. And so this little card, all it tells you is some, just some instructions. And there's a place on the back for you to fill in some names of people that you say, you know what? This is the person. These are the people that I want to reach for the kingdom of God. And maybe you'd start praying for those folks. And you'd start doing some things and making some connections and having some conversations with those people that would just be about the things they're searching for and be about what God has done in and through your life. God's kingdom is not all here just yet. But it's really already here kind of at the same time. Jesus said it's here, but he said it's not all here, but you can experience it here right now, and one day you'll experience it completely. And so our mission is to display it and to witness to it right where we are, using what we have, doing all that we can to do what Jesus told us, and that is to make disciples of every nation and every people. Your lifetime... Your lifetime is the only chance, the only chance that you get to join God in his redemptive work and his redemptive mission for your family, for your friends, for your coworkers, for your teammates. You get one shot. That's it. We only get one chance. We, as the current members of Elm Grove Baptist Church, we only get one chance to see this church not be about ourselves, but to be about kingdom mission and his purposes. So let's start where we are. Let's use what we have and let's do all that we can. Let's pray together.
Our Heavenly Father, I'm grateful this morning for your kingdom in my life. I pray, Lord, that you would make us individually and collectively kingdom people who display witness to what you've done in our lives. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of the one opportunity we have in our lifetimes to join you in your redemptive work. And the one chance we have in this generation of members at Elm Grove Baptist Church to see this community transformed by the power of the kingdom. Lord, I pray for those this morning who are struggling, not knowing if truly they are part of the kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for your life and your death and your resurrection, the gospel of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that it is by your grace and through faith alone that we receive it. And we don't have to live up to it, but it's a free gift. We pray, Lord, that as we leave these doors today, that we'd not leave the kingdom of God as something as a Sunday morning activity, but, Lord, you would invade our hearts and we'd take the kingdom wherever we go. We ask your blessings on this week. We thank you for each person that's here. Lord, for every drive through card that's given, every name that's written down on an Operation Andrew card, we pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and the strength and the boldness that it takes to live out your kingdom that has and that will come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close with this song?